0: What's up, everybody? Steph Curry's Warriors win their fourth title during his tenure there. And the Celtics puzzle and disappoint. I'm Matt Thomas. He's Justin Goodrum. Welcome to Hoopsology. Let's start the show. <music> We are live and it has been a minute. We have a lot to discuss. Justin, last time we spoke, it was June 6th on the show and the Celtics had a tied series with the Warriors heading out of San Francisco, one game to one. And a lot has changed since then. I mean, mainly that the Warriors won the title. But first, how are you doing?
1: doing good man uh, it's been a roller coaster of a season and ended in the warriors winning the championship so a lot to talk about in this week's episode
0: Absolutely. And I know that many of you tuning in are aware of that result by now, or at least I hope you are unless you've been living under a rock. So we will quickly recap that and then get to the big picture topics that we always like to cover on this show real quick. I did want to plug we are still posting content on our podcast feed. You can always count on that. We've had some great interviews lately. We had the public address announcer for the Miami Heat, Michael Bayamonte. And that was a great conversation. Had a lot of fun chatting with him about heat culture, among other things. So check that out. And Justin also had a great interview with Salt Lake City reporter Andrea Urban uh, about the Utah Jazz and kind of some of the turmoil and other things that have been going on with that franchise in recent days. So very, very interesting episodes. Be sure you are always tuned into our podcast feed as well as our youtube channel we really appreciate the support just anything else before we get rolling
1: no uh i guess one thing is you know the season might be over but we have a lot of great content in the off season similar to last year we keep you guys surprised of any free agency or any of this nba news we, we got you back on that so stay tuned to our podcast feed
0: And we'll keep releasing more good deep-dive interviews as well just to kind of feed that basketball appetite that you may have while the NBA is on break. So we've always got that coming down. So great point there. Without further ado, let's recap this real quick just because I I want to uh, shut the book on this in, in terms of what went down in the finals. So we had basically the... A very competitive series, I will say. Uh, even though there were three games in a row to finish this series <laughs> that the Warriors won, they were competitive games for the most part. Uh, there were a few, I want to say two games where really they sub players out in the last couple minutes there, it, early in the fourth quarter, rather. So, but overall, a very contentious series. I mean, you can see in terms of the series averages. Not as high scoring as I would have suspected with the Warriors being in the finals was really a lot about the defense and a lot about possession, which we'll talk about, but. points per game for the Warriors, 100.8 for the Celtics. The Celtics actually out-rebounded the Warriors in the series, 43.2 to 41.7 Celtics advantage. And then the Celtics also had more assists than the Warriors. But the, the real story was the turnovers, which we'll get into. But quickly, when the series went back to Boston, the Celtics dominated that game 3 it was very impressive. Celtics were riding high, on the top of the world, leading that series 2 games to 1 with more games to come in Boston. They had home court advantage at that point. They had taken it from the Warriors. But then we had the Steph Curry game where Steph Curry really stood out. Uh, I believe he had 40 points, 10 assists. Um was just a nightmare and really showed up when he needed to. Had that that very memorable finals game moment that all the greats should have. Uh, th- that was his game four. Then you have the series go go back to San Francisco for game five. And this was the one that, you know, could have really gone either way. This was a missed opportunity by the Celtics, in my opinion, because Steph Curry did not make a three-point field goal in this game. Steph Curry did not play well in this game after his kind of marquee performance there in Game 4. Then you add Game 6, where I honestly thought the Celtics were going to take this to seven games, but you could just see early on the Warriors had it, and the Celtics did not. There was still miscommunications going on. There were still turnovers on and I mean plain and simple just to um kind of close the book on this before I send it over to you, Justin i I really you cannot give extra possessions to one of the greatest shooting teams and definitely without a doubt the greatest shooter in NBA history Justin, what were your thoughts about the series overall the flow of the series um just kind of what you saw was it as contentious as I described there or was it uh, was it not that close really?
1: I think it was. And I think if you're a Boston fan, I'm sure our colleagues would echo the sentiment. You got to be kicking yourself if you're a Boston Celtics fan. I mean, you take a look at these scores, and it's kind of like, okay, if you're not watching this series too closely, you may say it's not too competitive, but really, for all the hype these Warriors had in terms of their third quarter success, came down to the third quarters. I mean, there's, I think, game five and game six, the game was close, and there's like three possessions. The Celtics turned it over three straight times. And the Warriors, it's weird because they weren't able to capitalize on it. And then vice versa, it was kind of like tit for tat. Like, both teams were play playing sloppy. Both teams were turning it over. But the Warriors just was able just to get that basket and really make the adjustments heading into the clutch moments of both game five and game six. And that was the difference. So not too much to add. I think if you're a Celtics fan, I would feel Bad that this series was such in reach, but good about the future. And that's something we can discuss about Jason Tatum. But overall, will, yeah. there's a lot to like overall. Um, But it's killer because, look, the Warriors didn't really play that well. I mean, with Steph, I think if you take a look, I mean, really his only Steph Curry game was what? Game, trying to pull up here, game four? Game four, yeah. That yeah. was the,
0: the monster game.
1: Because other than that, I would say, what made Steph Curry great in this series is not his shooting with his leadership. He, mm-hmm. I know this might be sacrilege to say, but his performance reminded me a lot of Jordan just in the way of not be, not shooting phenomenal, but taking over the game. Like his stamp was all over this series and he didn't have to shoot great. He made the right decisions. He made the right passes just by his assist totals. And that's why he was the MVP. So, um, you saw the experience of the Warriors just take over and it's going to be a learning experience for the Celtics moving forward.
0: Yeah, no argument here uh, at all. I think from either of us about Steph Curry winning the finals MVP. I mean, this series really was all about him, especially when early on Draymond was not performing well. He came around and was very important in the last you know, three, four games of the series, but uh, was really Steph's, uh, series. It, it was his story. Um, you see his stats there: 31.2 point, points per game, 6.0 rebounds per game, and five assists per game. So, not crazy assist numbers, but watching the game is is a different story. Uh, cause you're right. I mean, he was so impactful with the attention that he draws as always. That's one of the big narratives of his career. He, even if he's not knocking down shots, he's such a decoy that he opens up things for the rest of his teammates. So even though that assist average is lower than I would have expected, he gets a lot of hockey assists, you know, passing to mm-hmm. the next man who then passes to the wide open man. So very great series by Steph Curry. Um, If this is his last title, which who's to say it is, it's a great one to go out on um, getting that finals MVP. I wanted to ask in in relation to that, Justin, I I think there is no argument really. I I think the Warriors were at their most dominant when they had KD. So you can pick, you know, 2017 or 2018 uh, in terms of when the peak of this Warriors team was, but do you think or or just feel i guess because it's subjective that this title this year was the most meaningful title for this warriors franchise
1: oh without a doubt i mean they were counted out i i picked them as a sleeper team in the beginning of the season really some i mean Stephen a's all over you know (laughs) talk sports talk tv and radio saying that he picked the warriors over long all along but they were not the sexy pick this season And Mm they went through a lot. I mean, they had the worst record in the league, you know, in previous years recently, and just through the struggles of Clay Thompson, this was not the sexy team. A lot of people left this team for dead, which is peculiar, just because you have one of the you know greatest seventy five players in all NBA history, and at before Clay Thompson came back.
0: Which was January, by the way. Yeah,
1: for sure. Didn't know what his status is going to be. Even Clay Thompson at 50% is super dangerous just from a decoy aspect. So, for this team to be written off immediately as just a threat was really just peculiar to me. So, overall, I think when you have the core of Draymond, Steph, and Clay, even if they're not at the height before, And when you add Jordan Poole, when you add Andrew Wiggins. Um, and he may not he doesn't mean as much as we previously would thought of a James Wiseman, but you think about Gary Payton the third, like all these other pieces that were not present with KD that you have to integrate this time, and especially with Andrew Wiggins in particular. I mean, this guy's been taking just a lot of grief. And for him to win the title in Golden State, it's sweet. I mean, Draymond, I'll close my um statement this way. Draymond said, you know, you can't really replicate what it's like to win a title the first time. The best way to do it is through the players that go through their first championship, such mm-hmm. as Wiggins, you know, Wiseman, Gary Payton, the third Jordan Poole. So I, I think in, just in terms of the turmoil, in terms of them being ignored just through the pandemic, this one's probably taste the sweetest uh, regardless of the KD issue.
0: Yeah, and I think even though players may not say this, I I think doing it without KD is a huge part of this being meaningful as well. Uh, Even though, you know, Steph had already won a title, this core had already won a title before KD, it's even sweeter, I think, to get one after him. They don't have, like, the Kobe Shaq beef from the early 2000s, that type of thing going on. It's been pretty respectful, at, at least in public, between them. But I do think that plays into this, um, and so now you have a Warriors team that has been to six finals in total, and they have won four of them. That being 2015 against the injury-depleted Cavs, that you know they get a little bit of you know criticism from. But is that fair or not? You be the judge. Um, 2017 or 2016, excuse me. The Cavs make their improbable comeback. You could really argue. That the decision to kick out Draymond Green cost them that and that that was the wrong decision. So almost another title there, even though they did lose that. Then you have in 2017, of course, they get KD, the the biggest reload in NBA history, and uh, they win the title both 2017 and 2018. Argue again that they could have, would have, could have, should have won in 2019 when the Raptors made their historic run that Kawhi Leonard mercenary year where he got the Raptors the title. If it hadn't been for injuries to Clay, to Kevin Durant, to Steph Curry, towards the end, there, you know, you might be looking at a, yet another title. I mean, you might be looking at a team. That, uh, you know, we're talking just a few plays and this team may have been six for six and like legit in that argument for greatest dynasty of all time. I certainly don't think that they are the greatest dynasty of all time. But, Justin, would you categorize this team now, given all that? And and I'm sorry, they, of course, this year win the 2022 NBA championship. So four titles there. Would you categorize this Warriors team as a dynasty just by your own personal definition?
1: So, I have you know, you see movies and you have like the devil on one shoulder and you have like the angel on the other. So, <laughs> to me, it's kind of like I have Michael Wilbon on one shoulder who's like hardcore bulls, <laughs> so you know, six titles, two, three peats, and then the kind of Generation Z side of me saying, Take a look at the NBA, how it is now. And I think I lean on how the NBA is now, I think this is a dynasty. I mean, if yeah. you take a look at just the other teams. I mean, I said no, I think, in our group text. I'm changing my mind. I just think if we're taking a look at what you said, Matt, taking a look at the finals appearances, what is it, six in eight years? Six finals appearances in eight years, something like that? I yeah, think
0: six since 2015.
1: If you look at how you laid it out and the circumstances, this is clearly a dynasty. Now, I agree with you. It's another debate in terms of the greatest dynasties in NBA history. Sure. You can have that. But in terms of a of a dynasty, I think it is. I mean, look at the Spurs, right? I mean, nineteen ninety nine to two thousand seven. I mean, you take a look at this those four titles. I mean, that's a long time. And those weren't in a row, but they were considered a dynasty. So and I think correct me if I'm wrong, man, I'm blanking did they win a title after two thousand seven?
0: The Warriors? Uh no, the Spurs. Oh the Spurs. Yeah, after 2007, that was the uh, Miami Heat one that they that's won. That's right. The way out 2014. I, yeah. 2014. Yeah. Okay.
1: So to me, they even count that one, you know. In terms yeah. of kind of that Spurs. And that's a lot. That's that, that's a long span of time and those years were not consistent. So I think with the Warriors it's a you have a lot more consistent than the Spurs, that's for sure. Mm. So to me, and I think a lot more impactful in my opinion. I mean, they're Presence in the game, I think, revolutionized it. And I think that is a factor in this conversation in terms of being mentioned as a dynasty. So, overall, long-winded version of saying, yeah, totally, this is a dynasty for sure.
0: Yeah, and this Warriors team has been a long time in the making. Um, it, it took some years, you know, to draft the right players to put around Steph Curry. Took this franchise, picking Steph Curry over Monte Ellis, as we've yeah. talked about several times on this show. So good decision by <laughs> you all in Golden State there. And, you know, I, I like that they have spent, you know, they kind of went the other way. So you have, I think the this generation's comparison is the OKC Thunder where they had the option to spend on, on players that they drafted and they decided not to, they decided they did not want to spend on James Harden. We saw what happened with them. I do give the Warriors credit for drafting. Well, uh, being strong, Bob Myers, you know, I'm glad that Steve Kerr brought him up and and gave him his due on the championship stand there. Uh, You probably saw that moment, Justin. Um, But I, I think, from an organizational perspective they've been solid of course they've had great luck in the draft they were ahead of the curve uh they they saw you know I think what the Spurs were doing in 2014 sure you could say that that they were inspired by the Spurs and certainly Kerr is a disciple of Greg Popovich but they drafted the roster to fit that well before 2014 and these guys grew together and like you said, they revolutionized the NBA. I don't have a whole lot to add otherwise to what you said. I do think it's it's inarguable at this point when you mentioned just that they've been to six finals together. I think that's enough to make them a dynasty if they've won multiple titles, which of course they have won more than they've lost four wins out of those six finals appearances. I would classify that as a dynasty. I'm I'm with you there. Where they rank in terms of overall dynasty... It's tough to say, I think. I I think that's a harder argument, maybe one that we can do on a different podcast, maybe a ranking episode this summer or something. But, um, you know, the fact that they were at the peak of their powers, you know, with that KD team maybe being the best roster, like the best starting five, at least, that we've ever seen in NBA history. I think it's in the argument for that anyway. Um, I, I think that puts them up there. But in terms of like overall success and what they've achieved, I don't know. We'll save that for another time. We'll table that conversation uh, because I want to get to some other things too that I think are very interesting. Uh, A lot of the conversation this week has been around Steph Curry's legacy after winning this title. Of course, everyone goes to the legacy talk. It's fun. I enjoy it. I know it can be annoying. It can be grinding. Look, nobody's sitting here at this point arguing that Steph is greater than Michael Jordan, or at least not that I've heard. But they are arguing his place in the overall NBA rankings. I think one thing that Curry has going for him that no one can take away, that no one can argue, is that when you look at his NBA resume, you're going to be able to sum it up very nicely with one line. Greatest shooter in NBA history. I think he has cemented that and then you add on top of that that he's a playmaker, he can do a lot of other things beyond that. The the decoy factor that he he has that we discussed earlier makes him harder to rank I think because how do you rate what someone is doing, you know, when they don't even have the ball in their hands? I think it makes it a more nuanced and interesting conversation. But Justin, do you think I don't want your specific ranking of of players list, you know, we'll be here all night. Um, We can maybe do that again in another episode this summer when we need stuff to argue about. But would you put him like top 20, top 15, top 10? Do you think any of those thresholds right there? Those are the main thresholds that I've kind of heard discussed. Do you think any of those are ridiculous at this point?
1: I don't think it's ridiculous. Um, So our, our former guest, Zion Olajede, he was on, I don't know, about a couple of years ago from Complex. They, he yeah. was part of ranking the 30 best NBA players of all time. And their list has Steph Curry as number 10. So that's where I've seen him mostly is at the yeah. 10 mark. I think the biggest thing you can hold against him is defensively. I mean, remember, people freak out because I don't. it's so strange because we're talking about the greatest 10 players in the history of basketball, and you don't include your favorite favorite player and people up in arms like you're casting him as a disgrace. <laughs> like we're, tra- right. we're talking about the greatest right. ever in the history of this planet. And people get so offended. Um, I think what's going to hold Steph Curry back is defensively. And wow. this list of these other players, they're great defensively. And I think mm. that's going to be something that's going to be held against them in terms of this list. I love Steph Curry. But I think until he gets them all, all defensive accolades, I don't think it's hard to put him – Top 10 on this list. And it's tough to say if he wins, you know, five more titles. I don't, I mean, that is going to be something to really hold against him. But at the same time, you have to factor in the kind of revolutionary factor in terms of his influence on the game today. I mean, the way you see guys shooting threes all over the place is because of him. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. substantial. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. It, I always, it is, this might be a cop out rule, but to me, I don't like doing the whole ranking deal just because I wasn't alive to see, you know, really Magic Bird, Will Chamberlain, you know, the legends play in their prime. So, what am I, as a millennial? I mean, how am I, do I have any rights of just looking at stats and YouTube clips and just saying, hey, yeah, Steph Curry is better than Will Chamberlain? Like, that's stupid. Like, I have no right to really say that, even (laughs) comparing from stats. Like, I just feel like those who have watched both play, both somebody who's seen both eras of basketball and, you know, how it's different, they have the right to say that, and then we'll go from there. But for me, just in terms of the players I've seen, I think he's top ten. But, you know, for the – you know, and all of the NBA, I'll leave that for others to decide.
0: Yeah, I think – you know, I, I like the exercise because it also, it's kind of like a Rorschach test, you know, yeah. in that it, it kind of shows how you as an analyst view the game, you know, when you spew out your rankings, uh, because you can rank things like, you know, maybe you think, well, Chamberlain historically, from what I've heard, uh, as you mentioned, we didn't watch him, but What I've heard, you know, not the greatest teammates, you might knock him down a a notch or two because of that, even though his stats are ridiculous. You know, if if you look in NBA reference, Um, you know, so Steph Curry is interesting in that regard, in that a lot of what he did, too, that I think is an argument that that like boosts him up a notch potentially is the culture that he helped create as the face of the Warriors during this dynasty now if you don't rank this dynasty or if you don't even consider this a dynasty if you don't rank it very high then that's not going to play into your player rankings all that much um but i'm with you uh just to move into the next topic i i am with you that i don't think it's ridiculous to debate is he top 10 or not and he's got time let's remember to add more to this um this awesome career that he's had. Uh, so we, if they repeat next year, (laughs) we'll see what happens, but, uh, he may have potential to move up and and it may be if he's got five titles, man, you're, you're talking some elite level company there to have that many titles. So I don't know how we can hold him back, you know, at that point. And and maybe we'll think about this and him having four titles now, which is still kind of hard for me to process, maybe we'll think about that too as like, gosh, yeah, he does have to be way up above Hakeem Olajuwon. So, so just as an example, I did hear on Bill Simmons podcast this week, he kind of like easily was like, oh yeah, well, I got to put him above Hakeem Olajuwon now, which to me, yes, I am a Houston Rockets fan. So state my bias there, but you're talking like the greatest defensive center of all time. In my opinion, some people might pick another center. That's fine. Um, but. Um, when you think Elijah had two rings and Steph's got four, it's not as ridiculous of an argument, you know, when you're thinking of it that way. And if you give Curry a lot of the credit for those rings, which I do think he deserves a lot of credit for them. Um, So anyway, moving on, we're both in agreement here that top 10 is not a ridiculous thing to start arguing for Steph Curry. Um, Let's move to Boston. I think this is really interesting to cover now, too. Um, With the Celtics, obviously they're young. Jason Tatum, 24 years old. You see his numbers on the screen right now. 21.5 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, 7.0 assists per game. You'll remember in game one, he struggled uh, from the field. I think he was like 3 for 16 or, or maybe it was even worse than that. I can't quite remember. I just remember him struggling big time, but he had like 13 assists that game uh, and kind of made an impact as a playmaker. The Celtics won that game. Um, Basically, the story, though, you know, turnovers kept being in the teens and the high teens in many cases for the Celtics. And you just can't do that. You can't give the Warriors that many free shots, uh, that many free possessions where you're not even getting a shot up to counter the points that they're going to be scoring I will say up until those last three games and even at moments in those three games, I'm very impressed with Coach Udoka, very impressed with his leadership, his his toughness that he brings out of players. Really a big fan of that. Um, I I guess I will tie this with, you know, Jason Tatum got a lot of criticism for shrinking in big moments uh, towards the end of the stretch there. What do you think went wrong with the Celtics? Was it just that they were young and turnovers are a common mistake for young players? Um, was it something bigger that you saw? And do they have a lot to be worried about? Is the criticism of Jason Tatum warranted?
1: So what comes to mind when we have this conversation is a video I watched of Mark Cuban on first take. I don't know if you remember this. So he was on there with Skip Bayless and <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. And I enjoyed him taking them both to task. I just, you know, anytime Skip Bayless and Stephen A. are being destroyed by somebody, I, I really enjoy it. But <laughs> I, Mark Cuban talked about like mental toughness being irrelevant, hard to be irrelevant. It's mm. who has the better game plan, who outcoached who, who mm. executes who doesn't. And in thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Look at mm. Ben Simmons. I mean that's all mental, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think sure. in looking, in looking at this, I think the mental component has a lot to do with this. So we're so I was watching the game with my girlfriend, and I don't know. There's like a minute, I'm trying to think. It's like I don't know a minute left. The Warriors weren't up by a bunch. I think they're up by maybe 15. The game's not over. I don't. I don't think it is. It's the NBA. So they conceded. They took their starters out. (laughs) Yeah, they conceded the game. So before I go on, does that alarm you of the mental health of this team? When and I could be corrected if you correct me in the comments. But the game was not, in my mind, totally out of reach to just pull your starters out when you know that's a closeout game. Do you think that is a point to their mental toughness?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, there were games where. Uh, to your point, they had even more time than that. I mean, it was like 15 points, but there were maybe like um, three, four minutes left, which certainly not an insurmountable no. deficit. And, yeah, the starters were pulled. I, I don't know what uh, what the deal was there. Um, so especially given that this is the NBA Finals, you know, yeah. like regular season – I don't think it's that big a deal, but NBA finals, that's, that's kind of a different story. So um, yeah, very perplexed by some of those decisions for sure. And not sure what happened there.
1: Yeah. I, to that point, I think that further explains the mental toughness of this team in terms of, I wouldn't call them quitters by any means. I think that's too harsh. I will say that does explain why I think they wilted under tight pressure situations. And like you said, Matt, you're absolutely right. This Warriors team's been through it before. This Warriors team's been through you know, tough stretches where they're not shooting well, and especially you just saw it with game five where Steph Curry didn't hit a three and other players stepped up. I mean, that is such a massive confidence builder for your team when your star player shoots terribly and you win comfortably. And yeah. I think for the Celtics, it's a situation in which... There's really two routes to go. You can beat yourself up, which, I don't know, doesn't really help you. Or you can motivate yourselves by this, become tighter, and go on a massive run next year. I know it sounds corny, but I think how this team handles it mentally is going to be critical, and I think it goes to Jason Tatum. I mean, there's a lot of expectations put on Tatum in terms of if he's going to be one of the elite players in this league. We're going to find out. I think you saw with Giannis, the way that the criticism motivated him, he won a title and he transcended into one of the elite players in this league and in NBA history. And we'll see Mm -hmm. if Jason Tatum's capable of that. And I think that separates really all star talents from, you know, superstar. I think Kenny Smith always talks about, you know, there's good to great to all star to superstar to legend. And we're going to see how good Jason Tatum is. From this moment I think this is a teachable moment. I know you know everybody's hating on him because he has you know the most pl- um, he has a hundred turnovers in a single postseason. Mm. I'm like if he could work on it and improve the next postseason, it's whatever I I think we're gonna see how tough this guy is and we're gonna see where where he stands one way or another. I think he'll be able to overcome this. Um, I believe in his talents. I'm not a Celtics fan, but um, I believe Tatum is the real deal. Um, at the same time, this is going to be something that's going to hang on his mind. So I think the mental aspect is very key in terms of the Celtics' success moving forward.
0: No, you're right. And the one thing I will say that is uh, justified criticism because he brought it on himself. Like, if if you're going to wear the Kobe band, yeah, then... <laughs> I'm sorry, you have to be attacking in the fourth quarter. It's true, like, agreed. You you open yourself up to just criticism, in my opinion. Like, you want to be Kobe? I mean, fourth quarter in the finals is the time to go all out. And there were plenty of times, and, and look, yeah, I don't know if he was injured or not, so let's throw that out. Assume yeah, he was healthy. Sure. Um, plenty of times where he was settling for step-back three-pointers. Oddly enough, he was shooting better from three point range than he was from two point range, but you got to go to the basket and get free throws, slow the game down a bit for yourself and um, get the other, get the opponents in foul trouble as well. Um, You've got to slash to the hoop and be aggressive, set that tone early in the game. Um, and in critical moments, you got to take over too if if you want to be that alpha dog of your team. Now, having said all that, I personally think the Celtics are in a great place. I I like, as I mentioned, what I've seen from their coaching. I like how they bounce back after having a really rough year um, in 2020, 2021, you know, being affected with. Um, all the, the COVID, um, they, they were the team that was most affected by COVID benchings and things like that. They bounced back wonderfully from that. Um, I do think they lucked out in that they didn't get the bucks with Chris Middleton. We can talk about that too, but uh, I think the future is bright for this team, but I'm with you. Like Jason Tatum, you got to take the reins and prove it. I completely agree.
1: I think, Yeah, it's just not only him, but, you know, Brown and Marcus Smart and just the leadership of this franchise moving forward. You know, I think this could be a very key teachable moment. But at the same time, you know, you know how social media is. And especially you're right, the Kobe thing is a really great point. You know, that's going to be a focus throughout next season, especially if he has a game of high turnovers, which is probably going to happen. That's just the way the NBA works. He's going to be slammed on it more than usual and we're going to see if he can respond to that in a positive manner afterwards.
0: Yep, and and here's the other thing, too, that I I think, you know, PR-wise, public persona-wise, it's kind of assumed Jason Tatum is the alpha dog of this team, but is he the alpha dog? I I think that's a big question for next season that they need to sort out, because there were times, plenty of times in this series where Brown took over. Uh, Marcus Smart was less of a factor than I thought he'd be in this finals, which was to the Celtics detriment, unfortunately. Um, so I don't think Marcus smart can be your alpha dog, but he's got an alpha dog mentality. Um, so can they settle that down and can they let Jason Tatum rise above it or Jalen Brown? If, if he's destined to be the alpha dog, of course he, you know, in, in line with those turnovers, he struggles handling the ball and creating, um, but he he was effective at times in this series. But, uh, you know, I guess you just have to let Jason Tatum rise to the top. Or, well, more accurately, he needs to claim it uh, and set himself apart from those other two that we mentioned as this alpha dog.
1: Yeah, we're going to see. Yeah, for sure.
0: Absolutely. So. I think uh, the future is bright. I have two more big questions that I want to ask you, Justin. And I'm sorry for just the avatar there showing. My camera froze out here. Oh, there we go. I'm still stuck in this this <laughs> excellent uh, excellent freeze frame there. <laughs> but, uh, You're in the void. So let's um, let's talk about two more things. Um, repeat chances for both of these teams. If if you had to pick. Which of these two teams is making it back to the finals next year?
1: Uh, Easy for me, it's the Warriors. Um, Points bet for all your gambling needs. Um, They have the Warriors, Celtics, and Clippers as three-way favorites to win the NBA Finals in 2023. Um, Mm. In my mind, the the Warriors are the clear favorite. I just think they're battle-tested. I don't think they need home courts. They don't get rattled. Poole and Wiggins have proven to be huge additions to this team. We'll see when Wiseman comes back. I I just think just the way this team works and the rest of the Western Conference, I think we're going to see huge changes for the Utah Jazz. The Lakers are a debacle. Um, The Clippers are a question mark. I think Denver will probably be really good. I really think Denver is probably going to be probably the second best team in in the West. I, I know it might make Josh um, not not feel so great, but I think between Denver and Phoenix, I can see those two teams being the biggest challengers for the Golden State Warriors. But I can see them in, in, in the finals pretty easily uh, with the Celtics. I just think they have a lot of mental toughness issues, and you know the Miami Heat almost took them out. I mean, it wasn't for Jimmy Butler. I mean, that was a really close series. So I think looking at it, you know, you have the Heat, you have the 76ers, and you have the Bucks. I mean, those are three going to be tough teams there. And Brooklyn, I mean, who knows with them, but let's say they get their act together. That's another team to really contend, and I just don't see Boston overcoming all those teams to go to the finals. But we'll see. I didn't see them in the finals
0: this year, so what do I know? Real quick, you said the Clippers were that third team? Sure did. That was the odds on the, the three-way tie? Wow. Yep. That's really pick, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, they must have maybe some inside info on Kawhi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, that's allegedly, it seems like. that, that is not a thing, according to the media. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, You know, because of the youth of the team, I tend to lean Celtics on this question I think the you're absolutely right in that. I think the lane is a little more open for the Warriors to get there in in the West. I just don't know that I bet on this team staying healthy as as they get another year older. Um, so I tend to lean Celtics just because their their prime players are at the start of their prime, you know, coming into their prime and, and have not even ascended to the highest level of their prime. Uh, so I'm going to go Celtics on this one, but I uh, mean, you make a really good case. And I think it's, it's very close. I mean, the, in my opinion, the Celtics get there. If the 76ers, you know, have injury problems, the bucks have some injury problems, which I think there's a chance on both of those counts, Hopefully the bucks don't have that same bad luck next year. And we get to see the Celtics and the bucks take on each other both at full health. Um, but, um, I I think it's a narrow argument and it kind of illustrates that point that it's that three-way tie and the Warriors and Celtics are two of those teams in that three-way tie of the championship odds for next year. So very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the other question that I have for you Justin and and then we'll get off the call here because I don't want to go longer than 45 minutes on this episode but I I think this is an interesting question and and it's been it's been kind of weighing on me in watching this finals like I look you play the games that are in front of you but in many ways this finals you know, this This was supposed to be like Lakers-Nets at the start of the season. This was supposed to be Suns being one of that team, like Suns-Bucks repeat of last year in this finals. And just a lot of things happen between now and then. Some of that performance stuff, like by the Suns, etc. So it felt to me like I wasn't sure this finals if we really, truly had the two best teams. But that's not always the way it goes in the NBA championships, obviously. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying anything like, oh, this is, this is a uh, bubble championship or anything like that. I, I don't mean that as my take here, but my question is, if you rewind to, I don't care the Suns or the bucks that were in the finals last year, that the bucks won, do you see either of these teams taking out either of those teams? Hmm. So I guess it's kind of like a strength of schedule concept here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Boston, I don't think they beat either team last year. Agreed. Um, Warriors, I think they beat the Suns. I think mm. I like the Suns, but I think against a veteran team like the Warriors, I think the Warriors take them out. Um mm. I think the problem with the Bucks is Giannis. Like he they have no answer for him. Um, mm-hmm. and Chris Middleton healthy. Um, that is that's a huge factor. So I think I would pick the Bucks in seven over the Warriors. I think it'd be close. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to account just Giannis this there, there's no there's no stopping him. And what you mentioned against Jason Tatum, um, not going to the rack, that's easy for Giannis. He would eat them alive. I mean, I know that personally <laughs> with Chicago, just what happened there. Um, and I just right. think the Warriors, they, it would just be a complete disaster. I just don't think they'd have any answer for Giannis.
0: Yeah, I, I think he would, uh, he would, ser- Giannis would run over the Warriors a lot more than he would run over the Celtics, even. Yeah. Uh, and, and Giannis was pretty successful against the Celtics team in this, this playoffs. Didn't, didn't mm-hmm. get the series win, but yeah, uh, great points there. I, I tend to lean, I, I think either team last year would have won the title this year. Like if you, if you do some kind of weird time capsule sort of matchup thing, go back in time. But, but yeah, I think you're right that, uh, You know, Phoenix Warriors, that's the series that we were cheated out of in some ways. uh, Cheated out of by the Suns essentially kind of quitting that game seven um, that I would have liked to see play out to see who's better between the Warriors and Suns. So maybe we get that next year if both of these teams are are healthy and good to go. Um, Any final thoughts before we close out for tonight?
1: Um, not really. I think. It's going to be an interesting offseason. Um, yeah. I think just looking at the way the league is, there's just been uh, normally a lot of pundits are usually, you know, they want just a big-time showtime matchup of this the Nets-Lakers. They just want all the star power in there. That's just not how the season – that's not how the NBA works now. It's just you've seen it through the Warriors, just drafting wells, making – better roster decisions. I think you can see what the Celtics as well. The teams that make the best roster moves in terms of chemistry, they are rewarded. And the teams that fill up with superstars, you know, it, it might work here or there, but mostly it's going to end in some kind of disaster. <laughs> so I think this is going to be interesting to see how the, you know, offseason works out in terms of how teams
0: go in terms of constructing their rosters for next year. Totally agree. It's been a pleasure covering uh, this season with you, Justin. Um, Likewise. This is our 23rd episode of In the Lab. We will have much more to come. Um, Stay tuned, as always, again, to the YouTube channel, the podcast feed for more content this offseason. We hope you guys have enjoyed watching it all unfold with us. Um, Until next time, I'm Matt Thomas. He's Justin Goodrum. You guys take care. Peace out. See ya.